So welcome on board another tennis takeaway with me, Barry Mills and Barry Cowan alongside. Uh, Baza, it's been a dramatic uh, first week of the Miami Open halfway stage and uh, so much really to talk about. Let's uh, start with a very positive story from the point of view of Canadian tennis to have uh, Felix Auger-Aliazim, just 18 years of age, and his uh, good buddy and friend, Denis Shapovalov, just a year older, both making it to the last 16. Uh, great times if you're a Canadian tennis fan. Yeah, hi, Barry. Yeah, on the back of what Andrisco did in Indian Wells. and You know, the, the two of them have been potential stars for the last couple of years. And what's so healthy and so good for Canadian tennis is that it's it's a healthy rivalry as you said Barry they're great friends but they're going to push each other and they're going to push each other and they're going to make each other better uh, and I don't think it's any coincidence that with OJ Aliassime doing well in Indian Wells that Dennis has looked as good as he was or as he has done um, in his last couple of matches I mean it was a good win against Dan Evans to come back from from a set down and then last night I thought he played some really good tennis. It was a, it was a cracky match against Rublev uh, and a, a sort of a sign for the future that that's what tennis is going to be, you know, see the ball, hit ball. And that forehand from, from Shapovalov is something else. It's not going to be too long before we're going to be talking about Shapovalov having the best forehand in the men's game. The backhand's not bad either. It's improved, hasn't it? And he's getting stronger. Uh, I thought that was noticeable for me, having watched him, that his legs seems like seem that they are getting stronger, um, because when he burst on the scene, it was all sort of new, wasn't it, for him? He was just a free spirit. You know, at times you'd be left scratching your head with some of the shots that he he would attempt, but it was just all off the cuff. But now it seems that as a player, he's maturing uh, and getting stronger. And, and I think it wouldn't surprise me um, if he's got a really big tournament in him in the next, you know, may even be in Miami, but if it's not in Miami, it's going to be in the next month or two. And for Oje Eliassim, I mean, he too, what a future he has. What a game he's already bringing. I love his temperament on the court and I love the way he uses the net. But to come through qualifying, to then battle through a couple of three-set matches, then beating uh, Herkash, the guy who had knocked out uh, Dominic Team, of course, after Team's uh, great run in Indian Wells to the title. But that took some doing and, and he just seems very comfortable on this very big stage. Yeah, it wasn't a surprise that Team lost early with... with the emotions of winning your first Masters and, and, and beating Federer in the final, it's so tough, isn't it? We've seen it for so many years, going back to back in these Masters, whether it's Indian Wells and Miami or whether it's Madrid, then Rome, or whether it's Canada and then Cincinnati. But absolutely what you said about OJ Aliassime, it's, you know, again, we talk about the future of the men's game. And I, I also feel in the women's game as well, you've got to be able to hit aggressive tennis, but you've also got to be willing to come forward because... They're such scary movers now. They're all incredible athletes that if you can't finish the points at the net, how are you going to be able to consistently win points from the back? It's unrealistic to expect to keep hitting the lights. Uh, and he's definitely one of those players, you know, like Tsitsipas. I, I think for Shapovalov as well, that will be that's a work in progress, his net game. Um, but how impressive to have done as well as he did in Indian Wells play the tennis that he did and then have to go back to qualify. I think that's good. You know, the, the easier thing would have been to get a wild card, wouldn't it? But to go back and come through a couple of matches of qualifying, re, rebuild again. And I guess the big question, and, and my gut for being interesting to hear what your thoughts are, Barry, at the end of the year, who's going to have a higher ranking? <laughs> Dennis or Felix? 
I think Dennis, but um, yeah. I don't think uh, Felix will be too far behind. Uh, I listened to an interview uh, with him earlier in the week talking about this fact of sort of going through on the big stage, having some good wins, uh, getting noticed, but then having to go back through qualies. But he just seems to take it in his stride. Mm. He said, well, that's where I'm at at the moment. You know, I've had some good wins. I do deserve to be here, but I also know that I can't expect every time just to, to get into the main draw, I've got to fight my way through. Mm. And, and it all seems to just be such a positive at this stage that there's a sort of fearless quality, isn't it, about these great teenage players that mm. are coming up, that they, they don't yet perhaps have the scar tissue, the baggage, the fear of uh, mm. those who are perhaps you know plus 30 who have to deal with all that yeah I think it's a very good point and they're the players more likely aren't they to be able to knock Federer and Djokovic and Nadal off their perch you know there isn't there isn't necessarily as you said the baggage of having lost five six seven times in a row um, so you know I watch this space I guess would it be fair to say, talking of Federer and Djokovic, that so far what we've seen a couple of rounds, they're not yet at their consistently very high level. But then again, we've said that so many times and seen it so many times before that they, they pace themselves through an event like this. They're the masters of it. And, and uh, you'd expect better things to come the further they go, wouldn't you? Yeah, not, certainly not worried about Djokovic. In all the years that I've followed this sport, given how amazing Novak is, He's the one player that I would put right at the top. Don't gauge his form at the beginning of the tournament. Agreed. Because he can look, at times, a little emotionally flat. Doesn't look like he's playing great tennis, but he has become a master. He just does enough against the opponent he's playing. And yeah, now that the Novak's been able to, to get through his first couple of matches in beating Del Bonis in three sets, beating Tomic, in a tight opening set, Bautista Agut is almost the perfect player for him to play, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of Medvedev of the Australian Open. You, you can imagine it being a two-hour battle, whether it be two sets or three sets. Djokovic getting in great rhythm. And then, oh, we look at the weekend and we go, oh, Novak's back to his best. And, and there's a sort of a match that defines his run, isn't there, in the tournament, that it, it, everything is able to come together. As for Federer, Barry, he was... Very average. In fact, that's probably been kind to him against Albot. Albot played really well, but Roger was a, a little sloppy. But let's look at the positives that a year ago, after the heartache of losing in that final Indian Wells to Del Potro, he lost in his opening match to Kokinakis. This year, he was able to dig through, um, dig deep, and, and played very well, actually, yesterday against Krajanovic. He, he looked more like the Federer that we would expect. He served well. He had a spring in his step. And I just feel when you look at that bottom half of the draw, Barry, it is so appetising. Federer to play Medvedev. And then in the bottom quarter, Tsitsipas, Shapovalov, Tiafo, And let's not forget Goffin, who, who's had, had all sorts of problems and, of course, change coaches. But it seems that he might be sort of starting to, to rediscover the form of a year ago or so. Yeah, I think that that's uh, certainly one of the matches really to look out for next, isn't it? Because uh, Tiafo against Goffin. Goffin has actually won all three of their previous meetings. But coming back from the sort of the unfortunate injuries he's had, as you say, the coaching change now with uh, Thomas Johansson, the former Australian Open champion. And yet Tiafo, what a match uh, he's played or what a couple of matches he's had. But certainly the one against David Ferrer after Ferrer had knocked out Zverev. Mm. Sasha Zverev again falling early. But um, Ferrer against Tiafo, it was almost like a modern day version of uh, Ferrer 
up against uh, the the young American, and and he came from a set down to win that. I, I think he might push Goffin closer than uh, he's ever done before. Do you? Yes, it's worrying, isn't it, for Zverev? I, I'm sure I'm not alone. That after the O2 where he won it, in the way he turned around his his performances of the week where he started poorly and to play as well as he did in the final. I didn't expect him to win Australia, but I did expect him to really kick on and, and you know, 2019 would see him get even closer to winning a major. But right now he has really struggled. Um, started in, in Melbourne, was very poor against Raonic. It was, a, it was a horrible match to watch because he just, just really couldn't put one foot in front of the other. And then he's disappointed in Indian Wells and Miami. So, you know, many ways for Alex, it, it's back to the drawing board. But Tiafo is one of those personalities I absolutely love. I think he's, he's a breath of fresh air off the court. He's a free spirit on the court. At times, I think it will be very much you know, up and down with him. I think we will see some excellent matches. We will see some matches also where he, he maybe doesn't show his best. But if he can get his teeth into it, he's certainly going to inspire the crowd, isn't he? And, and the American, with, with the tournament changing to the Hard Rock Stadium, um, it, which seems a success. It, I still can't quite get my head around having a 14,000-seater tennis stadium in a, what, 65,000 American football stadium. But we have seen it before, haven't we? There's history about it, Davis Cup in Seville, which we've commentated. But if, if Tiafo, the longer he goes, the more the Americans will, will, will really try and lift him. You mentioned, uh, obviously, Zverev, the O2 success. And, and I think what has happened with Grigor Dimitrov, who, of course, was champion in London at the end of uh, 2017, but since then, Baza, he has struggled, hasn't he? He's reached one final, which was Rotterdam last year. 30 wins, 22 losses and uh, lost out to uh, Jordan Thompson in Miami. I mean, his ranking is diving. It, it, it just seems that he really needs to go back to the drawing board. But with whom? Very good question. I've always felt with Dimitrov that he has had an incredible career and I don't feel he's underachieved I think that he's been able to win that Cincinnati title and the O2 in 2017, fighting, grinding. I don't feel that he's always understood his his identity that it should be as a player. You, you know, it was it was baby fed, wasn't it, for Grigor? But when you watch Federer play compared to how Dimitrov plays, I mean, they are poles apart. You've got Federer who serves big who serves and volleys, who attacks, who comes in. And you've got Dimitrov, who gets caught. I feel he gets caught up in this style of play that's more sort of a reactive baseliner. So he's not playing to his strengths. Is it any dissimilar to Gasquet? The way you know, we often used to say of Gasquet, oh, you know, Gasquet maybe he can, when he's, when he's, playing up on the baseline. He's more aggressive. He looks so much stronger, so much more dangerous. And, and when he got to that career high of three after he won the O2, I, I, and I'm not just saying in hindsight, I did feel that that was his big moment as a player. I never saw Dimitrov as someone that would push on. And, and I think you're right. He is at a crossroads now. And, uh, and I feel a technical coach alongside Danny would be the real answer for him because the serve continues to be an Achilles heel that he's prone to double faults and you know yesterday after again after fighting hard against Thompson he breaks serves for the set and loses his serve comfortably 
you know, top players, that shouldn't happen. Um, so I think for Dimitrov, he, he seems devoid of confidence. But he's got history of being able to regroup again, hasn't he? So I, I don't see any, I don't see, I have no doubts that Dimitrov will get back playing good tennis. But will Dimitrov get back in amongst the top 10? Not for me now. I think the, the younger players are, are far, far more well-rounded as, as tennis players than Grigor is. Talking of excellence, this week in the women's draw, Shea Su Wei, what a story she's now writing in her early 30s. All of her six top 10 wins have come since 2017. And in Miami, she's not only knocked out the world number one, Naomi Osaka, but she's followed up with a, a win over former world number one, Caroline Wozniacki. And I mean, it is just a delight, is it not, from a, a spectator's point of view, to watch the artistry, the, the way she manoeuvres opponents into such difficult positions and is so accurate as well. And yet she's seen so slightly built. And yet what she conjures up is 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 magic at times. Yeah, what's what you lack in terms of height and power, if you can make up in terms of intelligence. Um, you know, we used to say that about Radvanska, didn't we? You say that about Martina Hingis, uh, and it is a wonderful story. As we speak, has she been able to get a clothing contract? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Still it, is, not one. It, it is amazing, and yeah, I, I'm absolutely with you. I, it's so nice to see different types of players be able to unravel the better players, uh, drive them to despair, and, uh, and long may it continue. And I think we're seeing a lot more of this now, a sort of a greater variety both across the men's and the women's game, aren't we? It's important. You know, as much as you, you want your, to create your perfect tennis player, which is six foot six and hits big serves and aggressive forehands, you do also want the extra layers to, to a tennis player. And certainly for Shea Su Wei, she has that. Uh, and, it, you know, it's up to, I mean, ultimately, the power game is always going to prevail. You know, she's always going to come up against a player who, you know, like a, I mean, it's obviously not going to be Osaka, but like an Osaka or like a Zabalenka or like an Andrescu, who, who, who just gets confident, gets hot and, and is able to, to hit Shea Su Wei off the court. But the sport needs those types of players and those types of stories. It does. Well, the number one ranking with Osaka knocked out early, it means that uh, either Kvitova or Halep could still pip her by the end of the week and uh, go to the top of the pile. It's something that uh, you expect one of them to do. Yeah, my wish would be Kvitova. Uh, you know, after having that match in Australia to get to number one, which was, you know, obviously an incredible match against Osaka, um, she wasn't able to do it. And with what she's had to go through, um, you know, Halep's had her moment, hasn't she, in the last year? So, it would be, I think, a brilliant story for the women's game um, for, for Kvitova. To get um, to world number one for the first time, uh, it would be you know, a truly, truly brilliant story for her. Well, somebody, of course, who has been there for many weeks, years over her career, but who is struggling at the moment is Serena Williams and uh, another injury um, upsetting her bid to sort of regain the, the great form that uh, might launch her towards uh, that uh, tantalising 24th major title. She's struggling, isn't she? And, and Moritoglu, I think, saying that she won't come back until Rome now. Yeah, and I'll stick with what I felt after Australia, where she strangely just seemed to, to really lose her way. Obviously, she rolled her ankle, which was, which was a pity. I hope she, she breaks the record. I hope she wins you know, at least two more majors because she, she has been such an, an amazing champion. But 
realistically, for her to be able to win at least one more major, I think she's going to have to win a smaller tour event, you know, like a Rome. She's going to have to go to Rome or she's going to have to, you know, to win one of these premier events just to have that confidence. Because people will point, well, yeah, but she's done it before, but she's older now. You know, and, and it seems like there is, at the moment, just the desperation to break the record, which is totally understandable because you, you would want, if you're in Serena's position, Barry, you would want to go down as the greatest player ever, wouldn't you? Of course you would. And, and that brings anxiety. And what helps get through that anxiety is, is winning a title that's fresh in your mind. It's been such a long time since Serena's actually been able to win you know, a tournament that isn't a Grand Slam. So I, I think, you know, if, if she isn't, she's not around for Rome, I don't think she can play and win Roland Garros. And then, of course, if she doesn't, you know, it's a knock-on effect. Realistically, you know, why that elephant in the room is still going to be there come Wimbledon. You know, why would, why would the US Open, what happened at the US Open and what happened at the Australian Open, why would it be any different at Wimbledon? Especially with how the women's game really has pushed forward. There, there are so many more contenders now not obviously to just win a major but I think to win serial majors you know to be to be you know double triple major winners okay Baz we've come all this way uh through the podcast and haven't mentioned until now Nick Kyrgios but you can't sort of go through a master's week Mm -hmm. when he's still in contention without kind of reflecting on where he is and what he's up to boys he made some headlines Two underarm serves against uh, Lajovic, but an in, in incredible performance. That first set I watched, uh, the highlights of it, and, and just amazing talent. And people either love him or hate mm. him, but uh, you can't deny that he, he puts uh, bums on seats. He really does draw crowds, and he gets people interested who might not otherwise be in tennis. Yep, yep, uh, agree with you. Have no problem with the underarm serve. As you said, he is, he is great for the sport. You know, polarises his opinion, understand that. Um, you know, which side of the fence that you are. Uh, I, I'm not that comfortable with what happened the other day in terms of the altercation he had with the fan, who, who I have to say didn't cover himself in glory, did he, the fan? No. But you've just got to let it go. Um, you know, as hard as it is for Kyrgios, I think you just have to, you know, not actually give that guy his five minutes of fame because it seemed that's what he kind of got, um, sitting in the front row and heckling Eklin Kyrgios and, you know, also spare a thought for, for Leibich. You know, he's, he's actually up the other end uh, and he gets, you know, warning for delay of game. Uh, but, but no one's going to tell Nick, are they, what he needs to do. He's a free spirit. He's going to continue to frustrate people. Um, but ultimately, what a player he could potentially be. We could be sitting here in a week's time. We could be talking about the next podcast and, and Kyrgios could be the champion in Miami. Or, you know, a week's time, we could be talking about Kyrgios having a point penalty, but people are going to watch. You know, not everyone can behave like a, you know, a Federer or a Nadal. I mean, what does he say about Federer? How he gets tired in, in tight matches? Yeah. Djokovic doesn't like short balls. I have no problem with, with sort of statements like that. But if you, if you are as open, you've got to be able to back it up. And, and, and he has been able to back it up against those top guys. But he, he has. He's got what a, yeah. a, a he's won as many as he's mm. lost against the top three put together. But so he that, hasn't that been able to something. do it in the majors, you know. And that's that ultimately is where it's going to be for Kyrgios. You know, can he the way he carries himself off the court and on the court? Realistically, can he last two weeks? Well, I'm intrigued to find out. 
Yeah, I think he's still asking himself that question, yeah. isn't he? He said that that that's the big deal. Is is how much am I really prepared to put into this to to take it to that that kind of level? So the question would be, wouldn't it? And and I, you know, everyone has a different point of view. Well, the, the, you'd ask him why. You know, why don't you want it? Why don't you want to win majors? And why don't you want to be world number? Why don't you want you do? And I think at times, people like that, it's almost maybe a defense mechanism. That, yep. that it's the pressure and let's flip it instead of criticizing Kyrgios where he can't handle the pressure. Let's then flip it the other side and say how extraordinary those top guys are that they've been able to, you know, to be look to be shot down every single time they walk onto the court. You know, we in the, in the media, we're trying to find weaknesses, aren't we? You know, even, you know, Djokovic, oh, well, Djokovic played amazing in Australia, but didn't play well in India. What's happened? You know, the question is, well, is, is it the politics off the court with the ATP? Sometimes, it, you know, they're not always able to be at 100% physically and mentally. But, you know, the extraordinary champions that these guys have been. So, you know, the likes of, of, of Kyrgios and what happened to team this week, losing first match, that's normal. <laughs> what isn't normal is the incredible consistency of Djokovic, Nadal, Federer and also Murray. Mike Dixon, who we had on the uh, podcast a few weeks ago. Mike obviously not only wrote about Kyrgios this past week, but uh, also the other big story, which is um, the LTA rebrand. Where do we start, Baza? I mean, how many times in your playing career, let alone your commentating career, have we uh, heard the LTA launching a a rebrand? And this one really didn't work very well, did it? No, uh, I think let's start with my career. And and, and I'm very thankful with what the LTA were able to do for me I, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for the LTA you know the LTA invested in me at a, at a very young age uh, I went to the the National Tennis School at Bisham Abbey for four years um, you know that was something that had to happen at that stage because you know the, the the stresses and pressures for my parents to be able to travel to you know to be able to take me to for training to be able to take me to tournaments and then and then they they invested in in me as a as a player um, when I was full time, you know, I worked closely with Tim Hemman on the squad with David Felgate. And, you know, I'm very thankful for the LTA. But what frustrates me, uh, and I know it, it frustrates uh, a lot of my other peers, is the governing body in this country continue to make the same mistakes. And when you have people that have a wealth of experience and have seen through different eras of the LTA and that they are still getting it wrong and still, for me, unwilling to listen. There's something that I picked out on this, this vision that they released um, last week of 2019 to 2023. And, you know, the, the, the LTA gone we spent time on this process, you know, talking about the vision because we wanted to get it right. We listened to volunteers, coaches, colleagues, players, those who used to play, non-players, the media, sports commentators, tennis professionals and fans. Well, I wasn't spoken to uh, and I spoke to a few of my colleagues yesterday. I'm not obviously going to name their names, but they weren't spoken to. And surely don't you want to listen to everyone and move forward and get it right? Well, the obvious people to talk to first and foremost are surely those who have succeeded yep. in the last decade or so to the highest level. So the Murrays, for goodness sake, there is no mention 
of the name Murray in the whole of that document. There is no picture. There's no reference to the Davis Cup triumph. Um, Yes, there is a reference to Davis Cup and Fed Cup teams. And the only picture I could see in the 36 pages relating to that was one of um, Katie Bolter in the recent uh, Fed Cup tie in Bath. Great. But, you know, they don't have them quoted in any way, shape or form. And yet, surely you need role models to inspire the next generation. I know this is all commendable in terms of wanting to encourage more people to play. But surely you're missing a huge trick if you don't use those who have achieved to the highest level to inspire the rest of us who, you know, want to just go and play in the club or in a park, but at least want to enjoy the sport and aspire to doing better. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head 100%. What, you know, the LTA have always said, what, what we need is we need a Wimbledon champion. That's going to be, you know, the cure of, of all our problems. Or win Davis Cup. Well, we've had both. And to not use Andy and Jamie, uh, I just I find surprising. And well, they find it incredibly frustrating. And I think Judy Murray's comment when she heard that that was the case, that no mention was made in this document of their success, she just tweeted one word, wow. Mm. And, and of course, she has been battling for so many years to try and get something achieved, you know, in terms of legacy from what her sons have managed to do. And yet still fighting that battle, trying to get the funding, trying to get the agreement to to set up more facilities mm-hmm. to, to, to make good on the back of what yeah. they achieved. And she said, I think, in an interview I heard from her the other day that it, it really sort of hit her back in 2013 after Andy had won Wimbledon for the first time. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was the initial euphoria for a couple of weeks or so afterwards, but she then looked beyond that and thought, oh my goodness, they really aren't prepared for this. Mm. And here we are in 2019, still struggling to find the best way forward. Absolutely. Uh, You know, Mike also wrote about it and he said that the LTA spokesman claimed that leaving out the Murrays with nine Grand Slam titles between them was not a snub. Um, This document outlines the LTA's vision to open up Tennis to new people and communities, encouraging them to try our sport and such. It features imagery that reflects the grassroots area of tennis. I mean, for goodness sake, if, if you get LTA funding, you have to put back for the LTA. You have to do things for the LTA. Uh, and I feel, I've always felt really strongly at this. You know, wild cards for Wimbledon. Fantastic. And it, it gave me a wonderful opportunity. But I have to give something back for that. You know, mm-hmm. So how many days a year you have to do something for the LTA, go into the community, do, do certain community projects to boost the sport. And, and if, if players are not willing to do that, and I, and I also I would put, you know, I think it should be part of ex-players because most, most ex-players actually have had LTA funding. I think it's a responsibility for all of us to, 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 to put something back. But, you know, the LTA, you know, it was a time when I lived in London. I lived, I lived a mile from the NTC. Phone never rang. It's frightening, really. But comes back to perhaps that key question, what should a national association's role be? Should it be for the inclusion of everybody to encourage participation? Or should it be for elite training and talent identification? Should it be both? What do you really feel the LTA should do from here? Performance is important. And it has been affected by the cuts in, in the performance budget. Uh, I, I absolutely don't like talent ID. Uh, and when I was on the performance committee for a couple of years, um, you know, eight or nine years ago, it was something that I felt very strongly about that I don't think you should ever cherry pick your juniors. I don't think you should ever tell them, 
tell the ones which are talented. And I don't think you should ever tell the ones that basically aren't talented, that you don't want to invest in them. I think you just have a system that basically allows the cream to rise to the top. So that the LTA as a governing body, and it should be, for the, I think the case of all governing bodies, not just tenants, governing, but they are responsible for the development of the sport and giving people opportunities, but also being able to have the vision to be able to put it into practice. You know, going back to that vision that they have, I feel you know, it's a very glossy 36-page brochure. But if that was a manifesto, if, we're, if, we're, if, this, if that is a, a, a party that looking to, to, to win over voters and, and get, in, get into government and win the general election, is there a lot of substance in that 36-page brochure? For me, not. Competition is the vital ingredient of the sport. And it, it's something that, you know, again, that it's a big passion of mine. And, and, and I don't feel that has been anywhere near as big a priority as it should have been um, for many years at the LTA of, of really a radical overhaul of our tournament structure, you know, for socially uh, at clubs, and also right at the top end. Um, you know, it's still the junior game. I, I, I'm not comfortable. And it's also you know, an issue at the ITF as well. I, I am not comfortable with juniors only playing against play, you know, people their own age. You, you should be playing at a young age. You should be playing against adults. You know, a 12, 13-year-old who's aspiring to be the next Andy Murray or, or the next Joe Conta, you know, playing against a 45-year-old who's been at his desk for 10 hours at in the day and comes out punchy and gives them a couple of bad line calls. Those are character building. You know, that, that, that shapes your future as a, as a person. But, you know, now we just don't have that. You know, they only play in their own age group. Uh, and I think that stunts their development as, as people. And I also think it stunts their development as, as, as tennis players. So, you know, tournament structure needs an overhaul. And you always hope that at some stage, the wish will be that, that that's something that they really will identify. Here, here, Baza. Great to hear your passion coming through as ever about uh, this sport. And it would be really good, would it not, to uh, to talk to uh, representatives from the LTA in the near future about it? Yeah, definitely. 100% agree. OK, that's where we'll uh, leave it for this week. Do join us again for another tennis takeaway in a week's time. Mm-hmm.